Hello and welcome to Tread Lightly, the podcast of two dinosaurs talking about books. Today we're talking about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, the adaptation of the radio play, I believe. Well, there's quite a history to that, which we can go into in just a minute, but yes, let's see if we... My version doesn't have the blurb because, uh, yeah, it, it just assumes everybody knows what the story is. But I found one. Hang on. At last, in paperback, in one complete volume, here are five classic novels from Douglas Adams' beloved Hitchhiker's Guide series. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Seconds before Earth is demolished for a, a galactic highway, Arthur Dent is saved by Ford Prefect, a researcher for the revised guide. Together, they stick out their thumbs to the stars and begin a wild journey through time and space. That's that's it. That's literally it. Oh, that's a good book. I mean, I could give you all five books, but I didn't think we wanted all five. <laughs> no, I think it, the other ones don't make sense until you know what happens in the first one. <laughs> yes. It's just a brilliant book, though. Uh, it's going to be one of those episodes where I just gush about a book again. Um, sorry if that's annoying to some people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to fix it. I apologize. Um, alrighty, so yeah, I think first it was a radio play, right? Yes, so first it was a radio show where episodes of the radio, individual episodes of the radio show cost less than than seasons of Doctor Who to produce. Nice. Yeah. So, it's pretty good, pretty good. Anyway, so yeah, this is the first book from Douglas Adams, and it's his, yeah, his version of the radio show which he produced, which, according to him, he originally came up with the idea for it while he was backpacking across Europe trying to do it for less than five pounds a day which is a reference from the book five something or other absurd currency that you've never heard of uh, a day um, yeah and then it kind of got filed away in his brain only to re-emerge years later when writing the radio show and the book has gone through like several iterations in that like the um it was a radio show. They tried to make it into a book. Then they produced a version for the Americans. And then the American version did better than the British version. But none of them got the Ford Prefect joke. So uh, mm. that made life a little bit difficult. But they didn't want to change the character's name. Eh, da, 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 so on and so forth. It was an exciting time. Um, I mean, this is honestly, probably... I really like the um, the BBC... Um, short series they made of it in the 80s, I think. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I have heard the original radio show, though. Uh, yeah, I had a bit of a listen to that one, too, this week. Yeah, how did you feel about um, the sound? So, I mean, it, it I, certainly was different. <laughs> yeah, there's, the sounds are very alien and a bit jarring. Not gonna Yeah, lie. I mean, it makes you appreciate the sort of effects we have these days yes i mean i get Oof. it you you had to work with what you had but 
yeah. Yeah, it's it's an, it's interesting. Anyway, it's interesting. Yeah, and it, the show has been through like several iterations. So if this version that we tell you about doesn't match the story that you know, neither of us are technically wrong. <laughs> Just so you know, because the book has changed its plot, or the story has changed its plot, a couple times over. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess in terms of storytelling. Oh no, I just think that the the kind of collective pot of boiling plot that is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is reminisce of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the book. So you know, yeah, just, I think it's on point, and also that Douglas Adams being one of the first people inspired to write comedy science fiction and just fucking nailing it and i think it's hilarious anything that he's like oh yeah that's a vague idea from science let's blow that completely out of proportion (laughs) big fan yes so what's the kind of writing that you would go for writing ah this is a solid four and a half stars it's (laughs) laugh out loud funny even higher than that or an art. There are a few books I give five five stars for. I think I don't know. Just seem seem mm, seems like a lot. Five's a lot of stars. <laughs> oh, it's four and a half stars. It's definitely entertaining. Would recommend a hundred percent. In fact, I have lent this book out uh, twice now to not receive it back. So which that I suppose kind of is a good sign. <laughs> well, I think it speaks to the quality of the book. Um. Or the fact that I just recommend it so many times, it, it's bound to not come back. Or it's like the Byros in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where there's a planet of Byros where they try and escape off to, where they live happily ever after. And then, no? Do you, did you not have that bit in your book? I'm trying to recall it, but maybe not. Terrible. Yeah, I also have no idea what version I uh, was reading. Like, I don't know if it was the American or the British or when it was actually from, because there were no front pages in it. Nice. That's the best. I'm just happy that it was the right book in the end. (laughs) Could have gone a completely different way. Well, yeah. So uh, I've read this from the original version, which I got from the library when I was in primary school. And then I have read it when I bought it the second time. I watched the movie. I have did the BBC show with my dad. We listened to it in the car. And then uh, I got this version, which was from the 80s. Um, and then I lost that one. And then I was reading the blurb for the combined book, which is available on Amazon. The first five. There are six books, I think. And Ian Colfer, who I Colfer, who I just reviewed that book with Mike. He wrote so he wrote Artemis Fowl. He also wrote the sixth book after Douglas Adams passed. Okay. Yeah. It's all connected. <laughs> I mean, 
I really like that they had um, Stephen Fry and Martin Freeman for the audiobooks because they, oh, do they? are just awesome. Yeah, Stephen Fry did the first book, and I think Martin Freeman did the other four, or at least there's so, a version of it. Yeah, Martin Freeman he played the role of Arthur Dent. Yes, in the movie. I, I honestly I saw the movie once, but I can't remember oh, much of it so anymore. Good. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it'd come to this. We try to warn you all, but oh dear. You may not share our intellect, which may explain your disrespect for all the natural wonders that grow around you. This is a lot. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so long, so long, so long. Thanks for all the fish. It's a great movie. Yeah, I'm I just going to watch it again. I, I don't remember much of it, but somehow the main image that has imprinted in my head is just tacky. I don't know why. Oh, it's a little bit tacky. But I... I'm, that doesn't detract from it at all, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's something. Yes. Yes, it is. It's not nothing, that's for sure. So, um... Big fan. Big fan of this book. Um... I found this book and kind of inherited it from my parents, who are massive sci-fi nerds as well so it's in the blood and I think I recommended it to you just for this you hadn't read it before this um I I read parts of it while I was in the US but I don't actually read it as a whole I don't know why I can't did I lend you my copy in the states no it's the same you have my book (laughs) no it was the same um, like PDF file that I'm still using to this day. We definitely get all of our books from a legitimate source. Yes. Um. Very much. So, hmm. shall we move on to the spoilers then? Yes, let's do it. Spoilers. Alrighty, tidy. So. How does your book open? Um, mine actually, I think mine just went in with the straight up Arthur Dent in his house, seeing a, um, what's the right word for it? Bulldozer? Yeah. <laughs> Moving towards his house and getting a short backstory of how he just only the day before found out that his house was supposed to be demolished and him now running outside in his pajamas to decide to lay in front of it. Yeah, so um, my book doesn't quite start like that. So mine actually starts about, we lead in with this story of a woman in a coffee shop and oh, she has that happens much later this amazing idea about how to change the world, right? She is going to make the world a better place. Everything is going to be brilliant. She knows how to fix it. She's had this idea. She races out to a payphone, and the world has been obliterated. Yeah. Then we <laughs> cut her after that. So the world that, is... That scene actually happens much later in mine. Oh, okay. That's the opening in this this particular version. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Arthur Dent is like doing his morning routine, and he's like, you know, just 
not quite putting together the fact that there's a giant, like, bobcat and demolition crew, like, outside of his house. He's like, yellow, and then continues to make the tea and, like, mmm, big, and, like, continues to make breakfast. Then, yeah, realizing that his house is about to be demolished, goes out and lays in the mud. As anybody would do. Yeah, he's got to protect his house. I really enjoy the discussions that he has about where the plans were, the planning permits. <laughs> yes, that was so really the great part. Planning permits is in the in a basement, in the because toilet, that's where in the, the planning offices. Because that's where the planning offices, and the filing cabinet is in in a it's in a locked filing cabinet in the women's bathroom or something. Yes, and it says like keep out or something on the outside. There was some something silly written on the door, I think. Yeah. So yeah, they really tried to make it overt that they were making big changes. Very much still true to this day. Yeah. Um, which parallels greatly for those paying attention at home the <laughs> story of Earth when the Vogons arrive to demolish Earth for a hyperspace byway. Um. To be like, it's been on display in your local planning kitchen, like, 50 light years from your destination. Like, if you couldn't be, if you couldn't put the effort into going and finding where the plans were and, and keeping an eye on your local, like, galactic politics, I don't have a, I don't have any sympathy for you. Yes. It was okay. great. So, um, we... Lying down in the mud. Yes. And then we get introduced to our next important character, Fort Prefect. Yeah. Excellent name, as names go. Yeah. Who arrived on Earth having mistaken the dominant life form as being that of a Ford Prefect. (laughs) I mean, all his analytics showed that 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 would... Yes, all his analytics showed that that would be the best name to have. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I feel sorry for any future children and or pets that you have. <laughs> um, yes. So we have a Ford Prefect showing up on the scene, basically going, we gotta go to the pub now and get drunk because I have to tell you something important. <laughs> Which yeah, and he's quite... like, what's that? My head just being knocked down. He was like, what? How do you know? And then he's like, J- um... Arthur gestures to the bulldozers and he's like, oh, that's not important. Um, and do you have the conversation with the guy who's running the project? Yes. It's, it's really great. Yeah, being like, well, we're assuming that Arthur's going to lie here in the mud the whole time. And he's like, well, yeah, I suspect so. So if we were like to pop off to the... If, if we just operate under the assumption that every, that he is laying in the mud, we could just like pop off to the pump for a little bit. And then, you know, what we'll, we'll we'll pretend you guys are there when, and we'll argue fiercely against you. Uh, if you want to pop off to the pub later too, you know, have a drink. <laughs> yes, and then interesting that the um, like that the guy in charge lays down in front of the bulldozer yeah. to take up a spot, and no yeah. knocking down the house, cheeky Borgon. <laughs> Yeah, and while the guy there is having flashbacks of Genghis Khan, because he's a very, very distant relative. Yes, I love how he's just lying 
on the ground and is having a strange feeling of a huge herd of men on horseback laughing at him. <laughs> yes. Uh, <clears throat> so off they race to the pub um, to have six pints. Six pints. Pints? Pints. Out of pints. there. Pints. Yes. Having six pints, which is clearly an adequate number at, what, maybe ten in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's three each, right? So, um, I'm sorry, they're not German. Um, I mean, to be fair, the pub wouldn't be open here this early. What? I've definitely seen a pub open in Germany before that point. There was That's a, a lie. It was Belgium. Ah, um, <laughs> uh, we all know the drunk Belgians. Apparently. We're in Ghent. Anyway, um... <laughs> That aside, yes, so they're in the pub, they're, drink, they're eating some, no, they're just having two drinks, and uh, and Ford starts to try and to explain to Arthur about who he is and what he does. So he is a writer and researcher for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is the foremost leading publication on getting around the galaxy with for less than five whatever the currency is, a day. Yes. <laughs> and he's just happened to be stuck on Earth for the last 15 years. He meant to be here for, like, a year. Yeah, and Arthur being, I think, understandably a bit confused. I, I like the point where he says, is it is it a Thursday today? It must be a Thursday. I could never get a hang of Thursdays. Like, yeah, it feels like a Thursday. Yes. It is, in fact, a Thursday, too, by the way. Um, I, I made a note of checking that it was, in fact, a Thursday. Um, yeah, so uh, the people in the pub overhear him, that there's a Vogon destroyer fleet that's coming, um, right on time for the Vogon destroyer fleet to uh, send a message to Earth, their first alien contact, if you will, on a global level, and it is a very empowering message, you know, of peace and prosperity across the galaxy. <laughs> that not nobody even will get remotely to true. No, it's not. It's a, I don't have any sympathy for you if you didn't go and have a look in your local planning office. <laughs> well, they need that space hyperdrive. I have a space highway. <laughs> anyway, so everyone in the pub then insists on putting a paper bag over their head because that's what they were told to do during the war if they thought they were going to die. <laughs> uh, we've got to take a moment to think that this book is uh, a little bit older and so the references in this book to how much a decent tip is and also uh, the war, they're probably referring to the Second World War. Um, and when the Germans were coming and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so you just got to assume that when they say he left a five-pound tip, that is more than oft given. You know? Not, yeah. not often given. I mean, to be fair, back then I would think a beer was fairly cheap too, so he probably gave more in tips than he paid for the six pints. Oh, well and truly. Um... He then also pays for pe packets of peanuts. Mm, yes. P 
peanuts, very important. Yes, and we get these great descriptions of the Vogons being this huge mistake of evolution, and then the, their planet that they're from trying desperately, desperately to make up for having created the Vogons, and coming out with all these beautiful jeweled crabs and, like, amazing trees and amazing wildlife, and the Vogons, like, crushing the crushing all of the pretty birds as they try and ride them because they're these sniveling giant leathery thing green things uh, that with horrible tempers and wouldn't save their mother unless it had been, the paperwork had been signed in triplicate lost <laughs> found yes. and recycled <laughs> i also really like that um just that quote as the uh, the ships actually arrived and just the phrase of the ships hung in the sky much the same way that bricks don't <laughs> just giving you a very clear picture there yeah. it's, just, I, like, it's a lot of those small things yes it's a lot of like quite witty little lines that are like tucked in there um cool so the earth's going to be blown up and yeah. Arthur and Ford yeah, manage to catch a lift with the cook from the Vogon uh, ship. They'd recently outsourced the cooking on the Vogon ship to some of the best cooks in the universe, um, which meant that there was now a loophole in catching a lift on a Vogon ship because the cooks will do it just to piss off the Vogons. Yes. <laughs> They'll just pick up any hitchhiker. So I Which must have definitely happened before. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Ford tucks that little bit away into his uh, knowledge bank so he can use it later in his revised edition of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yes, which I'm still waiting for to this day. <laughs> that book gets revised all the time. We, <laughs> we read different issues. No, I mean the actual Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Have you got a Kindle? No. Have you got a Kindle with Wi-Fi? Basically, is it basically is a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, which is an XKCD comic. If anybody's interested, it's a pretty good one. Um, yeah. So, all right, Vogon ship. Um. And then we have a lot of... We then, we finally get to introduce Arthur to the Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, because Ford... Ford and Arthur are now on the Vogon ship. The Earth's been destroyed and he is not coping. Not <laughs> at all. No. Which, I mean, is kind of okay. <laughs> seeing how he woke up that day with the biggest worry of his house being knocked down and now his entire planet has gone, including his species. Yeah. Absolutely demolished. Um, cool. So, the... What do we have? We have, um... Sorry. Ford's describing to Arthur about, like, what their situation is. He puts a babelfish in his ear, which never we never really find out where he got one. Babelfish being a fish that uh, consumes subconscious brain waves 
and excretes uh, brain waves that you can then understand in your own language. And there's a whole, there's a great paragraph, right, that comes after the Babelfish, where they talk about the Babelfish being proof that God exists, and then God disappearing in a puff of logic, because without faith, like, so, God asks for you to put your faith in him, he offers no proof. But proof of God is in the Babelfish, and God subsequently disappears in a puff of smoke, or in a puff of logic, sorry. Yeah. I think in I think in my version they got it from some kind of fish tank on the on the spaceship. Oh really? Yeah, it wasn't like closer described or anything. It was just Ford going fish tank and grabbing oh, okay. a fish. Cool. Well, excellent. I'm glad that detail has been resolved. Um. Yeah. So then he introduces him to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is the number one book in the galaxy for, like, as a travel guide, outselling the other one because it's slightly cheaper. First of all, it's slightly cheaper. And it also has the words, don't panic, emblazed on the outside in (coughs) calming gold letters. Which... I mean, should have been the first clue for marketing. Definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they did a great job with that. Um, then we were about to go into hyperspace, right? So mm, Ford yes. and Arthur are about to go to hyperspace, and this is probably one of my favorite lines, where Ford goes, uh, where Arthur and Ford are talking, and, and Ford says to Arthur, it's a bit like being drunk. And he's like, what's so bad about being drunk? You have to ask the glass of water. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, was, the whole, was the whole towel situation in your book as well? Sorry? The, the towels? Mm. Yes, that Arthur doesn't have his towel, so it's, it's, it upsets Ford a little bit, but, you know. <laughs> yes, one, one of the most important rules is Always know where your towel is. Always know with your towel. Because a hitchhiker with a towel is assumed to have a number of other things. And if you have your towel, then other people are likely to lend you things thinking that you'd run out of whatever that first thing that, that you is that you need, but you had everything else. Yes, it's great. Along with a bunch of language that is terrible jargon and a bit of a joke. But you guys should read it because it's a funny joke and it's you should just read it. It's entertaining. Cool. So, oh, excellent advertisement. I am the best at this. Yeah, one day. Um, yes. Oh, also, we be cut to the heart of gold, or do we have Vogue on poetry first? We have the poetry first. Although, also, I have to say, I'm really glad that I, like, watched the the BBC series at some point, knowing that they meant Beetlejuice, because I wouldn't have got that straight away from the way they spelled Beetlejuice. Oh, Beetlebrox. Yeah, it's it's like 
Beetle Goose. Well, that's not how it's spelled in my book, nor is that how it's spelled on the Wikipedia page. Oh, in mine it's B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. Well, on the Wikipedia page, it is spelled B-E-E-E-B-L-E-B-R-O-X. Ah, okay. So, yeah, this is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, Vogon poetry. Yes, basically okay, being tortured about... by the captain of the okay. ship. So, the Vogon captain realizes there are hitchhikers on board, and he's mad about it. So, he's going to go yell at some chefs and hunt down the hunt down the hitchhikers, because there's nothing he can't stand less than hitchhikers. <laughs> yes, which the cooks must have so much fun. Alright, so let me read you some of the book. Vogan poetry is, of course, the third worst in the world. The second worst is that of the Azaragoths Azur- of Kira. During a recitation of their poet master, Gronthos's The Flatulent, of his poems, Ode to a Small Lump of Green Putty I Found in My Armpit One Midsummer Morning, four of his audience died of internal hemorrhaging, and the president of the Mid-Galactic Arts Nobling Council survived by gnawing off one of his own legs. Gronthos is reported to have been disappointed by the poem's reception and was about to embark on a reading of his 12-book epic entitled My Favourite Bath Time Gurgles when his own major intestine, in a desperate attempt to save life and civilization, leapt straight up through his neck and throttled his brain. Yes. They, they did a great graphic on that on the TV show. It's hilarious. Yes. Well, and then the worst poetry uh, was that of uh, Paul and Nancy Millstone Jennings of Greensburg, Essex, England, but uh, perished in the destruction of Earth. Yes. I love how anything that can give you hemorrhaging is still not as bad as the poetry of Little Girl from England. <laughs> little Girl or Grown Woman? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I would hope it's a Little Girl. God, I would hope so. Nah, it's a grown woman who's been inflicting that on people for generations. I'd like to think it's like a sassy dig at somebody he knows. Probably. Anyway, so Arthur and Ford get strapped into the poetry appreciation chairs. <laughs> yes, which, I mean, it sounds so much better than just torture chairs. Yeah. Well, the Vogons are well aware that their poetry is the third worst in the world, and... Don't care. Yes. They suffered no illusions about it. Nee. Yes. So Sorry. they have to suffer through the poetry. Yes. And Arthur had no idea what he was in for, but he knew he didn't like anything so far, and the things weren't about to change. <laughs> I like how he, that he's so realistic. Yeah. Um, so they they survive the first poetry reading, and um, in a desperate attempt to get out of it, 
Arthur starts complimenting the poetry. Yeah. Like, which was very random compliments. <laughs> Just anything that came to mind. Yeah. If you've ever heard some, you know, when you're at school and you're trying to write an essay about, you know, some poem and you're like, oh, fuck, I don't know. This doesn't invoke any feelings in me. Like, oh, yeah, this speaks to the artist's true sense of self and self-preservation. Um, yeah. So it almost, almost works. <laughs> yes. But it doesn't. So, yeah, they're just thrown out of the hatch, ultimately. Ah, into yeah. Into space. Which, always something you should do. Great fun. And, and then we cut to Zephyr Beetlebrocks, or whatever the correct pronunciation is versus whatever the correct spelling is on any planet and any iteration of this book. <laughs> yes. Oh, so we should also mention that the uh, definition, uh, the Earth definition, or the inside of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy went from being harmless oh yeah to almost to mostly harmless, mostly harmless. <laughs> which fair that's that's fair so in my book we lead in to Zaphrod Beetlebrook's president of the galaxy speeding across Uh, sorry, speeding across a vast ocean, uh, cutting around uh, an island called France, no relation, um, on his way to the Heart of Gold, which is a new ship that uses an improbability drive to get to cross the known universe. Yeah. I I don't know if that's how... No, I don't think actually that's how mine went with it. I think they, they changed the order. I think first they um, they talked about how they spent like almost 30 seconds in open space and then just... Oh, yeah, possibly. Quickly, uh, ...quickly picked up by the next spaceship and rescued oh. them. Yes, so I, I do have that, that the they had, we get the 29 seconds of them being in space. And in <laughs> fact, it was the 29 seconds later, Ford and Arthur were rescued. <laughs> they mentioned Which, earlier, you've got about 30 seconds to survive in out of space. Yes, so good on them. And apparently also no la- lasting damage or anything from being out in space. Yeah. In your PJs. So, okay, I wasn't quite right. The next thing that happens in the book is that a computer chatters to itself in alarm. A hole had just appeared in the galaxy, and it was exactly a nothings of a second long, a nothings of an inch wide, and quite a lot of millions of light years from end to end. As it closed, a lot of paper hats and party balloons fell out and drifted off into the universe. Yes. A team of seven three-foot-high market analysis analysts fell out and died, Partially of asphyxiation, but partly of surprise. (laughs) Which is a very important distinction. 
it is those little tiny quotes that make it funny and cute. Yeah. So what happens next in your version of the book then? Um, I think next they were um, the next part were when they were sitting inside of the, the spaceship and being like oh. really confused by their surroundings. Yeah, because the so we we get the computer telling us um, probability, right? As there's like ten thousand yeah. monkeys that want to talk to them about the this copy of Hamlet that they've just written, um, and then they go and talk about I think it's the Milford Sound or something. They're at a beach and looks exactly like the East End or something. Yeah, it's like it's a bunch of really confusing just scenes like yeah, yeah. They, they halfway lost me there yeah no because there's an infinite number of monkeys that want to talk to them about hamlet that they've written you know because if you had enough monkeys and enough typewriters you'd eventually get shakespeare yeah um cool probability drive so basically after this um, we get, at least I get, a chapter describing the infinite improbability drive and how it was invented. No, I actually didn't get that at all. Oh, okay. So let me tell you about the improbability drive. Um, it was discovered by lucky chance and then developed into, uh, into the engine that drove the heart of gold. So... There's a principle of generating small amounts of infinite probability by hooking the logic circuits of a Bambleweeny 57 submeson brain to an atomic vector plotter suspended in a strong Brownian motion producer, say a nice hot cup of tea. Um, and these are all well understood across the galaxy, let's oh, be clear. Yes, sure. <clears throat> and they were often used to as an icebreaker at the start of parties <laughs> by making the host's underwear jump one foot to the left. Um, many respectable physicists were, proved, were mostly against this idea. Not only because they thought it was making fun of science, but mostly because they didn't get invited to those sort of parties. Ah, uh, yeah. Bashing the scientists again. Yeah. Um... And then, and then one student was left to sweep up the office after a party, and he thought to himself, if such a machine is virtually impossible, then it must be logical, then must logically be a finite improbability. So all I have to do in order to make one is to work out the exact improbability, is feed that figure into the finite improbability generator, give it a fresh cup, of really, really hot tea and turn it on. And he did this and was rather startled to discover he'd managed to create the long sought after golden infinite, infinite improbability generator out of thin air. I mean, that's fucking impressive. Yeah, and what saddled him more is when he got lynched <laughs> because they didn't appreciate uh, a smart ass. <laughs> but just, come on, you could have given him some kind of prize. Oh, he does win a prize, and then he gets lynched. Ah, okay. Well, that's a rough man. Yeah. But yes, that's the improbability drive. It produ it functions off T. I, I very much approve. 
That's great. Does that mean I am a, um, <laughs> an infinite improbability <laughs> Sure. Some of the wow. dribble that comes out of your mouth. Um, excellent. Yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, the infinite improbability drive, and I am a big fan. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be careful for that. People are getting lynched yeah. for things. Yeah. But that's kind of like what I mean. Like, he takes some really small bit of science that people have discovered and blows it out, like, to a ridiculous extent and feeds it back in on itself and comes up with these ridiculous concepts, right? Like, that's the science he uses to justify his TARDIS, effectively. Yeah. Which, I mean, at least he's bothering to to justify it. Yeah. Unlike when he was a writer for Doctor Who. God. Um, <coughs> you know he used to be head writer for Doctor Who? Was it for the for the old one, though, or for the new yes. version? Yes. Old, old, old. Mm, okay. Well, I didn't see a lot of the old one, actually. Rude. You should do that. I have all these DVDs you could watch. <laughs> Oh, yes. He um, actually died in 2001, so he wouldn't have been able to write the new one. Yeah. I didn't realise it was 2001. Oh, okay. Mm. I have no feeling for time anymore. <laughs> yes. Fucking 19 years ago, that's mental. Okay, so... Now do I get to talk, talk about where the, how we stole the Heart of Gold? Or is that still later um, for you? No, I think that's now. Okay, I lied. That's not where it is in my story. We actually get a discussion between Zaphod, Beetlebrox, and Trillian. Mm. Trillian starts to talk about why where they are in space and the fact that it's like not quite enough improbability improbable circumstance that they end up over her home world and oh, that yeah it's uh, all of the improbable things really confused me to no extent at some point mm. well there's a there's a there's got to be a level of improbability encountered in getting to your destination so there's like is there needs to be enough weird coincidences, basically, is the premise. Yeah. Which I think is pretty funny. Um. Also, what I really like um, is the description of him being the president, but also that the president has no power whatsoever. No, his whole job is to distract from the governance of the universe, because there's yeah, only so six people no who know how... <laughs> yeah. So he's actually been the most successful president the galaxy has ever seen. Yes, because he's great at not leading. No, at distracting. He's spent six years of his term so far in prison. <laughs> yes, which, I mean, to be fair, does make for good distraction. Yeah. Especially if you still uh, the president while you're in prison. Yes, he was. Like, fucking impressive. More than a little bit. Anyway, 
So, Zephyrop Beetlebrox stole ah, the heart yes. of gold. Names, once again. He kidnapped himself and stole the heart of gold. I want to rewatch the movie. <laughs> okay, I, I will. I'll put it on the list. So, the Heart of Gold's interior was designed by, like, a bunch of famous scientists, one of whom, which I really just, I need to mention, is a hyper-intelligent shade of blue that, for the opening ceremony, had been refracted, refracted into a, like, bit of glass to attend the opening ceremony so that everybody else could see him. I, I really would like to see that, but I have a feeling even the movie could not display that properly. Yeah. But also, a hyper-intelligent shade of blue? Yes, just imagine the prettiness of it. Sounds like a lot of effort to me. And yeah, I guess, but maybe not if you're a space being. True. A hyper-intelligent shade of blue refracting into a bit of glass should be fine. <laughs> I mean, it's the least of your problems, really. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, um, he pulls a lot of cool stunts off. There's a lot of weird coincidences about the names of different islands, which happen to also be similar to Earth-based names, but that's Name cool. Steelers. No, it's sheer coincidence. Yeah, sure. Anyway. So he kidnaps himself and the Heart of Gold for a special mission, which he doesn't know about yet. Which is how all the good special missions start, the ones you don't know about yet. Yeah, because he's burned it out of his brain. Anyway, that aside... Zephron Beetlebrox has two heads and three arms. Yeah. Which and he's isn't a, weird at all. He's a space being. True. From one of the planets of Beetlejuice. I can't remember. Well, it seems like whenever we need a location... Somewhere around Beetlejuice seems to be the, the way to go. Yeah. In the vicinity <coughs> so, of Beetlejuice. Alright. So, we have, on the deck of the Heart of Gold, we have Saffron Beetlebrooks, we have Trillian McMillan, um, or Trish, Trisha McMillan, now going by Trillian, and we have Marvin. The planetly- it's, it's, it's a great name. Marvin, the clinically depressed robot, because the cybernetic industries were trying to get genuine people personalities into their robots, and they... Marvin is a prototype, and will remain the only prototype. I really like Marvin. I, I found it very enjoyable. Is it just was... because he's played by Alan Rickman in the movie? <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, so oh, at least I can't remember. The movie. Oh man! But it's Most I don't know. Different. He's great. Yeah. Okay, so that's who's on board the ship. 
And it turns out that Zephyr Beetlebrooks and Ford Prefect are like brothers from their second mother. I don't know. They it's an interesting breeding system. Yes. But um so we have this discussion between Trillian, Zaphrod, and Marvin about going down and picking up the hitchhikers in the bay because the ship has picked them up for no apparent reason. And Zaphrod is like dicking about at the controls. And this is this is my probably one of my top quotes from the um from the book. Because I just felt like anyway, I'll just read it. One of the major difficulties Trillian experienced in her relationship with Zaphrod was learning to distinguish him distinguish between him pretending to be stupid just to get people off their guard, pretending to be stupid because he couldn't be bothered to think, and wanting someone else to do it for him. Pretending to be outrageously stupid to, the fa- to hide the fact that he didn't understand what was going on and really being genu- genuinely stupid. He was renowned for being amazingly clever and quite clever and quite clearly was, but not all the time, which obviously worried him, hence the act. He proffered people to be puzzled rather than contemptuous. This above all appeared to Trillian to be genuinely stupid and she could no longer be bothered to argue about it. I mean, that's pretty much every person alive, right? Are they really stupid? Are they pretending to be stupid? And which pretend version of stupidity is it now? Yeah. (sighs) Yes. It it amuses me to no end her suffering with this. Anyway, so Marvin gets sent down to retrieve the two hitchhikers and he explains in great detail about the Cybernetics Corporation and the fact that the doors also on the ship have genuine people personality and they are unpleasantly happy about having done a good job opening doors, the door. Yes, much excitement about the doors. Uh, I mean, they, must be a they nice sigh life. every time they close for having done a good job. <laughs> I mean, if I were Marvin, I would hate them. You would hate them in real life. If you ever came across a door that sighed with contentment every time it closed, you would start to get really pissed off. Probably, yes. So that's why I want them in the castle. <laughs> hmm. I'd, I'd need at least one really cynical door that would make remarks every time it had to open. Like, do you really need to go through here like three times a day? That would be your bedroom door. Yes, pretty much. And I would just use that door all day long. That's a lie. You'd use it once, maybe twice, and then it'll have convinced you to stay inside. Uh, I don't know. I like fighting with talking doors. Do you do it's a robot. It has the same comments. I'm not programming it with more than four arguments. Aww. Well, feel free to learn how to do it yourself. Ah. Uh, why again do we have electronic doors? <laughs> <laughs> why can't we get the, the old creepy squeaky ones? Oh, man. My bedroom door at the moment is so squeaky. It's ridiculous. 
There's nothing nice. subtle about my about you know getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, the whole house needs to wake up for it, clearly. Yeah, it's, it's a group event. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so then we get to hear a, a little bit more back detail about Arthur Dent's life and the time he met. He was almost hitting it off with this really cute girl in at a party at a Nislington flat. Yes. Just for her to disappear with another guy out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah. And then they walk onto the ship deck, and who do we see but that guy and Trillian. Yeah, Trillian being the woman and that guy being Zephrod. Yeah. I love that. We've already met. (laughs) Yes. I've had that a couple times. You meet somebody for, like, the third time, you're like, seriously? It's the third time. Like, first time, sure. Second time, you don't remember, excellent. But we've met three times, mate. Like, <laughs> just, just, mate, I get it. Clearly, I'm not interesting enough for you to remember, but just try. I, mean, I will remember somebody's <laughs> I will remember somebody's face, but with the names, um, I can meet somebody five times in a row and I still won't know your name. Yeah, that's fine. Act like you know me but have forgotten my name. Sure. Forget that you've met me completely. This is just, it's, it doth irk me so. It (laughs) irritates me to no end. Anyway. Fair enough. Anyway, continue. Um, What happens? Yes. Um... Actually, somewhere in between here, in my version, we have we have the um, um, we have the part where um, Arthur's, you know, getting slightly worried at this stage, and just the great part of just keep looking at the book. What? Well, don't panic. I'm not panicking. Yes, you are. All right, I'm panicking. What else is there to do? <laughs> I thought that was a little you you have. It's the fish in your ear. Ah, yes. Um, Also, I think it's a bit like, yeah, the the whole timeline is a bit jumbled, I think, in my version. Or it could be my version. Who knows? Yeah, I'd really like to get my hands on, like, the, the first ever copy, like the original version that was wrote down. Oh, good luck with that. That is all I can say. I mean, it would probably be very expensive. Yeah, one day when we're rich and famous, we'll buy the castle first, and then you can buy first editions. <laughs> I mean, okay, if, if we're buying first editions in general, I'm not sure if that one is on top of my list. Yeah, what... Okay, side note. What is your first edition favorite? What's your favorite first edition? Or what do you want as a first edition? Ooh, that's a tough one. Hmm... I don't know, I think, like, a lot of the rings would be pretty amazing as a first edition. Okay. Yeah, I I bought the Similarian, the first edition. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, because it costs about ten grand less than the the actual books. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But hopefully it's an investment for the future, you know? Um... Sure. 
you know, until the until the, the Earth disappears after an alien attack and none of it matters yeah. anymore. So the Vogon uh, fleet descends on Earth and hangs like bricks in, don't in the air. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Magrathia! Um, yes. Magrathia, Magrathia, Magrathia! We're going to Magrathia. Um, I think so. Hold on. There are a couple of parts in here that we already covered that are now just showing up in mine. Um, hold on. Which, which chapter number is it in yours? Okay. So, well, I... Hang on. I was not going off the book. Oh, sorry. That's all right. It's basically so unprotected space. The ship did it all by itself. Hey, Marvin. All right. What do you mean? Just that. Thank you. Cyclopedia Galactica defines a robot. So, chapter 14, Trillian couldn't sleep, um, Arthur slept very well, he was very tired. Mm, uh, yeah, I think that might be, yeah, that might be similar to mine then. Yeah, and Ford just gave up the attempt to sleep. Hey, so basically they all go to sleep. And Arthur's the only one that goes to sleep because he is very tired. He's had a very distressing day. Um, and the other, everybody else wakes up as they pull into orbit around Magrathia! <laughs> you want to keep going? Um, yeah. Hold on, I'm trying to... It's like really annoying to use ebooks on the desktop. I've, I've never tried it before, and apparently it's not the, the smartest idea. But I don't think I have it on my phone anymore. Um, yes, so basically, um, I, wait, Margrethia, yeah. In my head, it just became Margaret at some point. No, it's Margrethia! <laughs> so Margrethia basically being the richest planet of all time. Yes. So before the universe crashed and burned the first time, when everybody was really, really rich, they could uh, create planets to their very own specification, uh, where everything was exactly as they wanted, and you're incredibly well off. And then there was a Great Recession, and so Magrathia went into hibernation. Yeah, which, I mean, they don't know. They think either it's a myth or it doesn't exist anymore. Which is fair enough. Um, I like that one line. I'm I'm not sure where it is anymore. Basically, everybody was rich at the time or they simply didn't know about the poor people. (laughs) Yeah. "Mm, Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. 
Yes, so The poor people don't generally get to write the history. (laughs) No, it's quite strange, isn't it? Mm. Um, Yes, so they do find... um, They do actually find um, Margrethia, which is, like, very, very improbable. Yeah, super improbable. Which is why they needed the improbability drive. (laughs) Yes. Um... Where actually, I think it's Arthur, isn't it, who uses it that time? Uh, no. Arthur only touches the dials once. Ah, okay. Then I might be mixing that up with the show. Um, so they arrive in Magrathia, and they encounter the planet's defense systems, which is, first sends them a message being like, we appreciate like that you've come by, but we are... The universe is too poor right now and can't afford our services. We will let you know at the earliest convenience. And then, like, nah, keep going, it'll be fine. That's Saffron, in case anybody is missing that one. And then the planet says to me, like, we appreciate how committed you are to seeing us, but we can't come to the phone right now. Please go home. And then they go a bit further. It's like, we appreciate your commitment. Have two guided missiles as our... um, Gift to you and your dedication to finding us. Yeah, which, you know, is just the nicest thing you could give somebody after calling three times, basically. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if anybody called you three times, you would definitely be sending them a guided missile, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, guided missiles aren't cheap, you know. you got to be careful when you use them. Three times, though? They didn't give up after the first? That's going to be a tough call. Well, yes. So, they do shoot the missiles, and I think that's when Arthur then uses the probability drive. Yeah, so we have a bit of a an action scene where we're trying to outmaneuver the missiles, and it doesn't work, and somebody has disabled the systems on board. Um, I suspect the mice. Uh, and then... Arthur jumps in and just pushes the improbability button. And nothing happens. It's super improbable, but they're back where they started. Except the missiles are gone. And then we have a bowl of petunias and a giant yeah, and, and a great whale. whale. <laughs> Which is just, I mean, out of, out of all, the, all the things that were important to be turned into, yes, we knew the big sperm whale. Yeah. Uh, what is all this stuff rushing past me? Uh, 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 I'm gonna call it my head! Oh, yes, my head! And this great, um, um, rushing sound. I think I'm gonna call it wind. Ah, oh, wind! I feel it, oh, up against my... What am I gonna call this? Tail! Yeah, tail! I can flap that! That's super exciting! What I mean, the whale big... has a great time until he hits Round the... thing! It's a big round thing! I wonder if it'll be my friend. I mean, it gave him a hug. Yeah. The only thought from the bowl of petunias was, oh no, not again. And a few theories around this is like, if we pondered it, we'd know a great deal more about the universe than we do now. Yes, if we could ever find out why again wasn't the word we used here. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, yes, we get the um, 
So they actually land on the planet now, seeing how the two guided missiles were the only defense system in place. Yeah. Um, <coughs> yes, and I think the others go underground while Arthur stays... Arthur and Marvin stay on the surface. Yes, Arthur and Marvin. And then Marvin just uh, gets found by one of the, well, I don't know, do we, do we have an actual name for the race, or is it just a Margrethian? Um, yeah, Arthur gets picked up by uh, one of the Nagrathians, but um, yeah. we don't get to know his name. Well, for a little my, bit. In mine, he actually introduces himself, like, a page after they meet. Yeah, so originally he goes, oh, my name is not important, blah, 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 blah. But when they get into the vehicle for, um, for to take Arthur onto the planet and see what it is that they're doing, he's like, oh, my name's Slarty Bartfast. Yeah, which is just, I'm assuming he couldn't come up with the name, so it just went with ridiculous. No, I hit, I did. oh, you mean the author? Yes, yes. 100%. Said it wasn't important, you know. Arthur, after Arthur laughs, which I mean, yes, everybody would. He insists it is. Yeah, it's not important. I'm assuming that everybody always loves it as name, so. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Yes. So they head off inside of the planet, and we get to see them building Earth Mark Two. Yeah, and actually, in in my version. Um, that's kind of just before they, they get inside the, the chapter ends and we get the part about the dolphins on Earth. Oh, yeah. So this is the, like the little interlude of just um, that dolphins always, uh, or that humans always thought themselves more smart than dolphins because they <laughs> achieved great things like the wheel, New York, walls, and so on. Well, dolphins just ever been mucking about in the water having a good time. Which is exactly um, why dolphins considered themselves the most intelligent creatures on Earth. Because yes. the humans kept building all these things and they got to muck around in the water. <laughs> Which, I mean, is fair. And then they thought that um, basically the co communications were always misinterpreted. Especially the last time when the humans thought they were trying to do a, a double backward somersault through uh, a hoop. It was a triple back flip through a hoop, yeah. Yeah, while whistling the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> but in fact, it was just the message, so long and thanks for all the fish. Which you may recall earlier from my incredible singing voice. Yes. So, I mean, I do, I do like the idea that somewhere out there are some very highly intelligent dolphins just thinking, ah, oh, those humans, there they go again. So, yeah. But you should and also then, point out that neither of those are the two most intelligent species on Earth. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of crazy. Um, yes. The most intelligent species on Earth turned out to be the mice. I mean... They fucking let they fucking commissioned the planet, so Yeah. Which we learn in the car from Slardy Bartfast. Yes, while seeing Earth Mark II. Yeah. Um, and Slardy Bartfast is the designer of fjords. 
you know, he got an award for doing Norway. Which, I mean, he did a really good job. He did a really good job on Norway. <laughs> I like how he also explained like, how, how he came into fashion and then he went out of fashion again and then he wasn't important anymore. Yeah. Because <laughs> fjords apparently are one of those things that just come and go in fashion. It's fashionable for a bit. Yeah, a good old fjord. And they're basically he's doing the same thing with Mark II. Do yeah. the fjords again. They're putting, yeah, but in Africa. <laughs> yes, because you can never have enough fjords. Oh, um, so while uh, Arthur has been taken on this tour, Trillian, Ford, and Zaphrod have been kidnapped and well, they were gassed and then put into a cage of some sort. And Trillian and Ford came around earlier and started yelling at people and that they wanted something to do. So they ended up getting stuck in a catalog. Hmm. So then they wake Zaphrod, and this is where we come in. They wake Zaphrod um, because they found a planet full of gold and they thought he would be entertained by this. <laughs> Which he is, clearly. I mean, big surprise, he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we get a, a better understanding of Magrathea then, which is very exciting. We get to learn a little bit about how to make a planet, which is fun. And then we get to meet the mice. The mice. The mice. So these two mice are Trillian's pets, apparently. And they've been carted across the universe, and now is the only pan-dimensional beings left they're going to take the only Earthman left, take his brain and see if they can find the meaning to the ultimate question life the universe and everything <laughs> yes I do like that, that little quote of the mice will see you now <laughs> I'm just mm, oh yes, come here please the mice will see you now um, yes, and I think in my version, this is where it's, um, where they start going on about the, um, oh, is it, uh, the computer? Yes. <clears throat> that deep was thought. Yes, deep thought. That was tasked with the, or created for the amazing question, or to find the answer yeah. to the question. To find the answer to the question. The ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> and they wait like 40 million years or something for, for Deep Thought to, to calculate the answer. Yes, it's Deep a ridiculous long time. Just, I have to think about it for a bit. <laughs> yeah. And Which, what's the answer? 42. But just, what? I mean... I'm going to be 42! <laughs> The great thing is that, like, nobody fucking understands the the answer, and he basically goes, well, to understand the answer, you have to know the question. Yeah, the true question. Yes, which isn't the question at all. Yeah. Well, so just that'd be seven times eight. No, that's stupid. <laughs> Why would it be seven times eight? Um, 
Yes, so they just wasted seven and a half million years to get an answer to 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 a question they don't know yet. Yeah, and so Deep Thought designs them the ultimate computer, which turns out to be Earth. Yes, to calculate them the question. Yeah, of life, universe, and everything. Yeah, and then ten million years later, and just what five minutes before five it was minutes done. Before they're done. <laughs> The Earth gets demolished. Ah, damn. So that woman on the phone, I think she's going to have had that answer, you know? Yeah, probably. It's just, ah, you know. It's like when the microwave is almost done and then somebody's opening it. Always. I never finish it. I don't want to hear it beep. (laughs) I factor in my extra five seconds. Five seconds? You have to wait till it's just one. It's the excitement. Nah. I don't have time for this. Hmm. Yeah. So um they they figure out that Arthur being the last non organic thing from the computer basically has the, the last question human, yeah. Yeah, imprinted into his brain. So they want his brain. They're yeah, negotiating they, for his brain. Yeah. How much you want for that brain, man? He doesn't want to sell. You'll be programmed not to notice if we put an artificial one in. <laughs> Which might be better than a normal one. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, so I think they, they start to fight and are, uh, like, just trying to cut his head open to get the brain out. Yeah. And that's when he starts, like, like just, just saying things that, that could be the answer, you know? Like... Uh, uh, seven times eight. No, we don't like that one. We're never gonna make any money on cable news selling that answer. <coughs> oh, okay. Um, how many roads must a man walk down? Oh, oh that's pretty good. I like that one. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, and then I think it's a kind of alarm that goes off, isn't it? Uh, yes. They're under attack. Yeah, which gives them a great diversion to to escape from the mice. Yeah. While the, the police, galactic police is arriving. Yeah, the police are here to uh, rescue Zaf- Zafrod from, you know, his, his kidnapper. <laughs> Zafrod. Yes. I like the uh, I like the the police members shooty and bang bang, <laughs> which has not aged well at all. No, no, you just gotta think he's British. He's British. Mm-hmm. Or he could see the future. Maybe a bit of both. But yes, and then I think the the police guys they just die, right? Yeah, for no explicable reason until we get outside. Mm. So they're firing at them, being like, "We don't want to fire at you. This is I've, I'm a, I have outside interest. This isn't the only thing that defines me." <clears throat> um. Yes, and then I was, I remember it was something with the with the some kind of support system. <laughs> yeah. So they're 
they go, well, I don't know why their support system failed. Like, even if their life support system fails on their body, then they've got a backup one, the ship, the ship's supposed to come rescue them. Anyway, <clears throat> don't think about it too hard. They run outside. Run, 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 off back to the Heart of Gold, where you meet Marvin, who's extra depressed. <laughs> Just, I mean, honestly, he's always so depressed. It's hard to tell when he's more depressed than usual. He's, he's a depressed robot. Yeah. Well, he's extra upset because he tried to talk to that. He plugged himself into the other ship to have a conversation and it committed suicide. <laughs> Which just shows how great he is at sharing his depression. Yeah. <laughs> I just would have liked to see the other ship actually commit suicide. Just sounds well, it took the policeman with it. Yes. Which, I mean, convenient for the story. But that's kind of the whole thing, right? The whole the whole story is like, wow, that was exceptionally convenient. And very improbable. In, yeah, improbable, you might say. Yeah, and so everybody decides, well, you know what? We're going to go to the restaurant at the end of the universe. Yeah. That is the end of the tale. Yeah, the end of the of, of part one, basically. Which I didn't realize that there were actually five parts until I like figured out that I had a broken PDF file. So the first time around, there I there are actually I, six. There are six. It's a it's a trilogy of six books. Yeah, and I, I still don't know if the sixth one counts since Douglas Adam actually didn't write it. No, it's supposedly based off his notes, and honestly, it's it's quite weird. It's like if you've ever read any Frank Herbert, when his son joins the writing program, that it's it's time to walk away. <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. I I eventually found myself the, the version that has all five parts, but I haven't read the sixth one yet and I'm not really planning on it. Fair I think enough. I'm okay with <clears throat> reading the, the main ones that are from him. Yeah, I mean even book five is a little bit weird. I like one, two, yeah. and three, but four and five is just kind of eh. Like, I, yeah, I mean, when you have long, when you have long series, I find that they often take a deep dive towards the end. Yeah, I guess uh, if you wrote the books with um, with an ending in mind like there was a finite number of books like Harry Potter or if it's a trilogy or something like that um yeah I think it's usually better it's it's when yeah when you start a book series without any idea of the ending yeah it, it tends to get a bit muddy along the way yeah although also I don't know if that is no I think it is in the Hitchhikers I'm not sure which Potter was um, that great quote from Zephrod where he just goes, if there's anything more important than my ego around, I want it caught and shot now. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Which just gives you all of his character you need to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so... The... Sorry. Uh, no, please continue. Um, no, also great um, the 
um, the line from Arthur while they were still in the airlock. Right? Just like in times like these, where I'm on a, in a Vogan airlock, trapped with a man from Beetlejuice. I wish I would have listened more to what my mother told me when I was young. Why? What did oh, she what did tell you? Tell? I don't know. I didn't listen. Yeah, it's pretty good. Anyway, so what's your, you still, what are you rating it out of five at the end of the book now that we've reviewed it again? Um, I think I'd probably give it a, well, it's kind of like hard to separate it from the other parts now. Mm -hmm. But just that first bit, I would probably give it a, yeah, four. Ah, four and three quarters. It's so good. (laughs) I mean... In the beginning, it's a bit more, um, it's a bit more quick paced, I would say, than yeah. in the later ones. So I definitely think it was better in the beginning than in the, in the later parts. It just seems to lose steam at some point. Yeah, I think he lost interest in writing it. But <laughs> that aside, you should definitely, everybody out there should definitely read the first one, you know, because it's yes. hilarious. It's great. For such great lines as Ford, you're turning into a penguin. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Just for a moment, nothing happened. And then after a second or so, nothing continued to happen. (laughs) Which is just, it's like the best description of life itself. Nothing happened. Pretty solid one. Then nothing continued to happen. I like the just... I like the improbability drive, the fact that it requires tea to run, and also the fact that, you know, physicists aren't invited to those kind of parties. Yes. Yeah. Also, like, one of them being very relevant, especially in today's times, just anyone who is capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. <laughs> Yes. Which yeah, would have no, helped yes, us. Yes. Take that one to heart. America, this one's for you. Uh, Straight up. Okay. He definitely saw the future. Yeah. It, it does seem to be a little bit like that. Like, <laughs> there's a couple of things you're like, oof, oof. 2020 vision of hindsight, woofed. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so, big fan of this book. Everybody should read it. Um, yes, it was pretty good read. It's pretty funny. Sometimes, or at least, I always, um, with this book, I always felt like I had to be properly awake to continue reading. Like, this isn't something you can just read while doing other stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of layers of jokes in this book. Yeah, you definitely have to be on top attention for this. Yeah. Um, So come back and join us next week when we're talking about what? I'm actually not sure right now. So mystery. We don't have anything in the schedule. We're going to have to cut this bit out because we don't have anything (laughs) in the schedule. We should talk about it. Oh, just come back next week for Mm. the next episode. Yeah, we've got kind of got merch now, so you can get a postcard from us 
we'll send you a signed postcard. Appreciate your support. Um, that's for our first uh, the first 25 people that want to be a part of our little community. Um, you can also get us to review a book for you. So all the episodes for next season, we will, we're hoping to get other people's recommendations. Um, and we have shout-outs on air. So if you would like to shout-out a friend or yourself, we don't care. Uh, yeah, you can see us on our store. See it all on our store. At tereadlightlypod.com. Yes, just, <laughs> just go ahead and choose that next book, which could be something fun or something very much not fun, whatever you're into, really. And do follow us on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, we're on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple iTunes, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Truth. All right. 